Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. Today's guest is KP Anderson. KP Anderson has been a friend for over 25 years. And, you know, before social media was big, you know, I remember I left LA and uh, I didn't hear from him. And, I, and now he's running Hollywood, literally. The guy is doing a great job. He's, uh, he's won an Emmy for a Talk Soup. He's met the president. He's, he's done and he's doing big things. But he's still KP when you talk to him, man. This is uh, I'm I just I love it when I see my friends have prospered in this business, and it was a great conversation. It was inside stuff, and some stuff you like, and hopefully, if you're a comic watching this, you'll see that if you stay in the game long enough, good things happen. So enjoy my conversation with my good buddy KP Anderson. Oh my God, I'm so happy. It never gets old, Wyatt. Every time I hear that, I just know it's about to go down. You know what I mean? About to get serious. One, two, three, and hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. And today, my God, it's gonna be the greatest reunion ever. At like in the beginning, when I first went to LA, and I was, you know, I had a little heat on me. I'm not a lot of heat, but just enough to, you know, like you can go, ow, burn your hand on a Bunsen burner, right? It was me and his other comedian, and it was KP Anderson. And this guy, and this guy was funny, and we were at the same management group. And so we lost touch for a while. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching my favorite uh, sports talk show, the Dan and Patrick show. And he goes, blah, 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 KP Anderson. I go, what? I go, my KP? Turns out, I look him up, and this guy now is running Hollywood. Between, between my former manager and this guy, they're literally running. You know what it's like? I feel like Matt Castle. You know when he was with the New, New England Patriots? And, like, mm. you know, they won a Super Bowl beforehand. Tom gets hurt, and they got the same team, but he's the reason they don't go. I feel like the Matt Castle of the group. You're running shit. Judy's running shit. And now, you know, I'm stuck here in Indianapolis, man. How you doing, KP? Well, first of all, if I were running Hollywood, I wouldn't have time to do this interview. Like, <laughs> like Judy clearly does not have time for this. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I were in charge of fucking anything at all, I wouldn't have time to do this interview. Listen, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> don't give me that shit because you're, hey, you're who's who. I'm going to tell my, my producer this because you're going to be all nice and humble, which is what you are, that Minnesota upbringing. But my producer, yeah. this guy, true story, Wyatt, this guy has been executive producer for Talk Soup, The Blind Date, The D.L. Hughley Show, Joel McHale Show, uh, The Norm McDonald Show, and The Wayne Brady Show. I was Wayne Brady before Wayne Brady. Take away the singing and the, and the, and the dancing. I was Wayne Brady before Wayne Brady. How come I didn't get that's a call? Really, that's really why we lost touch. I just started looking for you who could sing and dance is what it was. I just kept, <laughs> uh, I was head writer of that one. I was not executive producer of that one, but I did, but I did, I did get my one and only and, and I, I want to say Emmy, but, uh, but then like everybody I know texts my, like I just get daytime, 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 daytime on my text. So I got my one and only daytime Emmy on that one. Dude, <laughs> honestly, I mean, to the point now, I mean, it sounds like nothing and I know it's, you know, we're having fun, but, to win an Emmy, that's, I mean, how did that feel, bro? Because I, it's come, to me, I'm still a comic, right? I'm still yeah. a comic. So uh -huh. to me, that looks like an unattainable goal. And dude, you're doing it. You've got a fucking Emmy. Yeah, well, okay. So I, and, and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was so great to see you again. And, uh, and I just realized how much of my hairline I was showing and I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a sharp orange uh, knit cap to, to cover up what's happening. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's how you look, yeah. That's how you look young. I like that hat, man. That's fucking nice. Uh, Thank you, bro. Um, can I curse on this? Are we? Uh, yes. Are we, yeah, you free will, bro. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, so winning the Emmy. So, okay. I was nominated for an Emmy for Politically Incorrect when I was writing on that with Bill Maher. And I was nominated for an Emmy for The Soup when I was executive producing and head writing The Soup. The Soup nomination was great, it was amazing. They're, they're all great, it's all cool and it's all great and it's all wonderful. The Soup nomination was probably the best because A, it was a show that I was really at the core of, you know, of the creativity around and, and at the core of how the whole show came together and everything that happened. And also when we lost, we lost to Zach Galifianakis and Barack Obama so we didn't have to feel bad at all, at all, all, all. <laughs> Like, like Joel McHale and I were sitting, like we were literally sitting in the theater We and neither of us had paid any attention to who we were up against. Uh -huh. And so we get there and you get the program and we're sitting with our wives and, and all, you know, our writers and producers and friends are all around. And we both look at the program 
and look at each other at the same time. We're like, oh shit, we're not winning this. Oh, we're going to go drink. Like we're going to go to the bar. We'll be back, honey. And it was just like, but it was so, cause it was just like, oh, I know who's getting this one. Like I'm not beating Barack Obama for an Emmy. And so, and so we just kind of relaxed. And then Lisa Kudrow was presenting it. And it was like this double whammy where like, we had this moment where like, I, I was like reading the fine print and I was going, oh, it says we could tie. Like there's a way to tie. So maybe we'll tie and we'll get like an Emmy because like enough people said this was fine. Like maybe we'll do that. And, and so we were, and so we were so like into, you know, that into that, like maybe we'll tie. And then Lisa Kudrow came on stage and Joel turns to me and he goes, yeah, I don't, I don't see Lisa Kudrow giving me an Emmy tonight. I was like, me neither. It ain't happening. And so, and so we were back to just relaxed again. And, but so that one was really, that one was really big, like politically incorrect. It was like, I was there for nine months and then Bill fired me. And then he hired me back three months later. And then somewhere in there, uh, um, uh, and then, and then he fired me again nine months after that, but somewhere <laughs> in there, um, um, we got an Emmy nomination and that was a little bit like, well, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of like an asterisk in this. Like I wrote some jokes and, and whatnot, but you know, there's a, there's a group of people who still work with him who really like all the accolades go to them. The Wayne Brady thing was interesting because I had actually left the show and gone on to, uh, um, last comic standing and that was that was interesting because daytime tv is not really that was for his daytime talk show and it's not really where i work well you know like, uh, like creatively comedically well because I, you know especially then i was much younger and i and i and i still like as you probably remember from our time on the road was you know i was a, i was a pretty dark comedian and would get pretty dirty and stuff like that <laughs> i still at that point in time was kind of like still learning how to come out of that space and that show was really good for me to learn how to be more broad and write for, you know, among other things, an African American host, uh, um, to write for, you know, a uh, um, to write to be in charge of a staff that's writing stuff that had to hit a hit a different audience at a different level than what I've been doing all those years, um, and we got nominated. One of the writers on the show, Lee Farber, who was uh, who went on with me to, to uh, he was with me on the Soup, he was with me on Blind Date. He's a great director now. Lee actually uh, wrote, uh, basically wrote, gave get that episode, the opening of the show, the monologue was going to be um, Wayne recreating uh, the thriller video on stage with all of the beats on stage and picking a young woman out of the audience and taking the walk with her and all of the pieces that we could pee. It was like a Halloween special type of show. Nice. And, it, and it was incredible. And it was such a great, it was such a great thing. And, you know, I played a hand in, in helping get that, you know, like it's, they're all, all these trophies are about the collaboration between everybody too. I don't mean to say that it, it's not as good because I didn't get to do as much on the show. That's not really what I mean, what I mean by it. It's more just the idea that like, that like with that particular episode, it was really like, you know, Wayne's talent meets Lee's vision. And the reason why Lee's such a great, you know, uh, um, there were other pieces of the episode, but that's really what, you know, got, I'm sure the voters when they looked at the tape to go, holy shit, what is this now? Yeah. Um, and so, and so it was really cool. And we actually did tie the view um, um, that year for the Emmy, but when I won the Emmy, uh, I, I was at my buddy Steve's house playing poker and, uh, we had the daytime Emmys on in the background and I had kind of forgotten that we'd gotten nominated. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I hear the Wayne Brady show and I look and Lee and Robert Morton and Wayne and all the people that I worked with are like piling onto the stage. And, and the guys were like, Hey, are you going to get an Emmy for this? And I was like, I think I am. <laughs> so and so then, and then because I didn't work, this is a, this is the Hollywood budget thing because I didn't work for Buena Vista television anymore doing the show. Uh -huh. Like there's no pomp and circumstance to it when you've left, when you've actually like, I, I got done with my one season of it. And, um, um, I was, I'd been working with Jay Moore on a lot of stuff and Jay wanted me to move on to last comic standing and Wayne, uh, they had changed executive producers. And so it looked like there wasn't going to be a head writer. And so I kind of took the hint and, and moved on to last comic. Yeah. Um, um, so it was not a, it was just sort of like a, oh, wow. But, but um, my Emmy trophy came to me um, in a box sent regular postage by someone at Buena Vista who literally just like slapped fucking stamps on it. And like we had just had our daughter and my wife got home and the baby's crying and we go, and we go walking into the house and there's this box 
sitting on the front step and uh, like we're like right below the mailbox. And I'm like, what the hell? what's that? And I pick it up and I see the Buena Vista and it's pretty heavy. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And sure enough, <laughs> they just fucking wrapped some cardboard around it and, <laughs> and dropped it in a mailbox somewhere. Regular mail, regular mail. Mail, yep. Holy this, this business is not for the, is not for people who expect, like, it's so weird because we all have such huge, you know, want and need for attention and ego yes. and all that other stuff. And it's just so not cut out for us. It's so like. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to be, was there a surreal moment, man? Because it's like, it's like, I look at it like, Still like, oh, like, oh, shit. And you're like, yeah, I'm still playing poker. They're going, ah, they're going to Emmy. And you keep on playing. Like, is there, a, is there ever a moment where you go, fuck, I'm actually doing this shit? Like, or, or is yeah. this one of those things in life where another step, another step, another step, no, another step? It, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit of both of that, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I remember years ago, like, back when you and I were down at the improv, you know, whenever we weren't on the road, we were there, you know, six nights a week, seven nights a week. And, uh, and, um, I was sitting next to Bill Maher, uh, having a drink with him. And I asked him the question, I was getting really frustrated. Like, like, I think you and I were so like on that same track of like, I remember the Jacksonville Comedy Festival, you took first, I took second, and yeah. we were in Montreal at the same time. And all these things were kind of, we were both getting a lot of like that first wave of attention, but it was like not quite, and I wasn't a good enough actor and I wasn't getting, you know, yeah. I wasn't getting the parts that I was, I would get put on a veil for a commercial and I'd get, you know, someone like Bill would tell me, yeah, the next time around you're getting the writing job, but if you want to do audience warm up, So I felt like I was like continually cresting something, but I just couldn't get to that next thing. Yeah. And, um, and I asked Bill like point blank, I was like, so you made it over, like, when does it happen? And, you know, Bill's such a caustic motherfucker. I love him dearly, but he, but he, he said this to me and I think about it. I can't, it's like, there's so much I don't remember of my life, but I remember so distinctly him going, when it happens, KP, is when the phone rings and you find out you got the job and you don't call your parents and you're not taking everybody out for dinner and there's not going to be a big party and you just go, yeah, okay. And you get ready to go to work. And he goes, well, we, when you're ready to actually do the job, that's when it happens. And he goes, and you've got to get over this a little bit. You've got to get over this need for it to be that big, big thing. Because that's the, he goes like, that's the difference between the, you know, the, the, the people who really make the pros and the people who don't. And I look at that and with like the notable, I think that, I think that that's too cynical a point of view. Like having now had the career that I've had and and uh, and being as fortunate as, as I've been to do some of the stuff that I've done is I will tell you that there are days like we're selling our house right now because my daughter's off to college and it's time to downsize and everything. And this house is, you know, like the thing that sometimes I stand in and go, holy shit, I'm from Cambridge, Minnesota. How did I get, yeah. you know, this many square feet in Toluca Lake, California? Like what? What? Yeah. Who? Why? And and like that does come over me. I, I mean, I can also like sort of like see Bill's point of view because I can answer the who and why too. I I know when I know when I got better at the things that I needed to get better at to be able to do the job at the level that I do it at and not get overwhelmed by the moment. You know, and when was that? When was that? And like, when did well, you know? Like, I, I think okay. it all it, it all happened in different in different phases. You know, so like so like I got really lucky by getting the soup uh, as, as uh, the soup. So I'd done I'd done as a writer and 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 supervising producer, producer, head writer, whatever I'd been through. Um, um, I had done a um, politically Keenan Ivory Wayans show, then politically incorrect, then. Um, um, uh, what was after PI was, uh, was, oh, the X show for FX, where I, where that was the one where I stopped being a staff writer and started being a producer and also was the writer on the show. And it was a, it was like a, a night, late night talk show on FX, like Burt Kreischer came out of it and Gary Valentine. Um, um, and I was, and they hired me off of, uh, when I left Politically Incorrect, Bill helped me get a job with the, uh, with the promo company that, uh, that was doing the promos for PI and they put me on the X show and then Mark Cronin, the executive producer on the X show saw how I would work with the talent shooting the promos. And he was like, you should be a producer for me. So he hired me on as a producer. I'm, I'm cutting the story short. I started as an associate producer and then, and then got promoted and then eventually became like the only writer slash producer of, of solid episodes. And Mark was the one who kind of went and he saw him like I was, I think because I'd stepped down from writer and was doing the promo thing, 
during that period, the way that I was talking and interacting with the um, with the talent, like they also weren't as famous as Bill and the, and, the, and nobody knew this show existed. Uh-huh. And so I felt more relaxed. I felt like I was hanging with like you and my friends at the improv and just, yeah. and just shooting the shit with them. And all of a sudden I got much better at directing things because I relaxed and I stopped worrying whether they were going to, you know, whether they were going to not want to do what I suggested and whether I would have to, you know, creatively negotiate with them. And all of those things sort of came on over time. And I got better and better through that show. And that show went on for two years. And then at the end, Mark, you know, at the rap party, Mark said to me, he was like, you're, you know, you're probably going to go back to the writer track and be a head writer on a couple of things. Now he called it exactly as it happened. And he said, but you're a showrunner. He was like, you're, that's, that's who you are. He goes, you pick up all the stuff that's not getting done and you get it done in a way that doesn't make the person who was supposed to be doing it feel like you're trying to you're trying to leapfrog them. You're just all about the production. You're all about how do you see, you know, in a lot of different directions out on a stage. I think a lot of stand up helped me with that, like being able to do crowd work and being able to, you know, like deal with all of what we dealt with out on the road. All yes, those years. Chicks dropping, um, people talking, maybe a yeah. fight breaking out. Yeah, you know, well, my daughter, so my daughter's off at college now, but she's, she's kind of a uh, science whiz and she had to give a speech when she was in high school at a, uh, at a thing and she, she went and gave the speech and, and a whole bunch of like older scientist people were there to hear her talk. And uh, I picked her up. I, I, she didn't want me there because she hates it when we like go to those types of things. And I picked her up afterwards and I go, how'd it go? And, uh, and she goes, uh, and she goes, oh my God, it was fine. She goes, but I was supposed to talk for like 20 minutes and 10 minutes in like eight people just walked into the room and they were talking and I didn't know whether to restart or whether I should just keep going where I was. And I found my way back and I rehab, but it just, it just made me so angry. And I'm driving the car and I don't know why I said this, by the way, keep in mind, she's 17 years old at the time, but I just go, did anybody start shooting pool or yell what's so funny about you faggot? And she goes, <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, no. And I go, I'm sorry, you had a rough day. <laughs> she don't know what we went through, man. I know. <laughs> you know, I just remember for some reason, I just remembered when we were, you know, like I said, you know, a little heated or whatever. And Judy was the executive for the Jenny McCarthy show. And they wanted us to do the, the promo for the intro. And I was quarterback and you sacked me. Remember that? Yes. Yep. Remember, it, 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 the, if you don't know, the Jenny McCarthy show, Jenny McCarthy was real, you know, really big thing at the time. And she was, you know, one of the first of the, of the hot chicks who was actually funny. Her personality was funny. So we're doing a promo for a show, and I, we were supposed to be playing court, uh, football, flag football. And I go back for a pass, and Jenny's supposed to say hi to me. I'm like, oh, my God. And KP comes and nails me like he sacks me. <laughs> and that was your thing. That was your claim to fame. And you didn't hold back, motherfucker. No, I was like, I was like this is the one chance for five foot 10, 165-pound me to take my buffest friend down, and he's got to go. He's got to go down. <laughs> yeah, you kept putting me down. I was like, you son of a bitch. Like, you kept bringing it. You were like, come on. Come on. I mean, you were hype, man. I was like, okay, bro. Okay. Yeah. I was just like, this is amazing. This would never happen. Any any other place in the world, this doesn't happen. But, God, when you think about that show, by the way, holy, like, that's a that's an amazing... Like, look, so, so remember who was our little, uh, our little extras coordinator on that show who would, uh, it was, it was Melissa Jenny. McCarthy. Yes. It was Jenny's little cousin, Melissa. Melissa was, McCarthy was on that minute. Yeah. That show we had, we had the who's who and didn't even know it. Yeah. Will Forte was a writer and in the cast. I mean, all like, like, it's really weird how these things happen sometimes. Like, and I even think back to those X show days, getting back to the original question is like those days, like right now. Um, I do a lot of work. I'm, I'm not running a show at the exact, at this exact moment and I'm doing a lot of kind of consulting work on different things. And one of the people who I'm doing it with is this, uh, incredibly, uh, gifted producer who, uh, named Jenny Daly, who was my first, when I was hired as an associate producer, Jenny was, um, Jenny was a producer on the show and I became her, you know, her employee basically mm-hmm. throughout the show. And Jenny was, um, and um, and Jenny now runs this company called Critical Content, with which is a massive, massive. Um, they do the Catfish series. They do um, just a whole bunch. I can't the, the one thing I'm doing with them. I can't really talk about. But um, um, but they she's now you know speaking of running Hollywood, she's someone who's who's done that. It's it's weird how you do those shows early on and i think now a lot of people are finding it on like podcasts and youtube things that like they're gonna they're gonna see 20 years from now 25 years from now they're gonna be going holy shit those knuckleheads who i worked with all went on to some stuff yeah man. and it's weird yeah. isn't it yeah 
Yeah. It, it really, I mean, honestly, it, it, looking back on it, it's like, fuck, man, we were doing it. And you, like I said, you're really doing it. I just remember having that conversation with you at the improv, and you were talking about Bill Maher. And I think, I think you guys were in Aspen, or I think it was in Montreal or Aspen, and he goes, hey, buy me a drink. And you go, fuck you. You're making more money than me. You buy a drink. I remember yeah. you saying that. <laughs> I, remember, I remember little conversations like that, man. Yeah. I remember, and I remember the, first time, the first time we met was in Lake Okaboji. I remember that shit. And I remember one of my favorite jokes you did, and it's so and it's so apropos for now, when you were talking about, the, I just remember the, the punchline was, yeah, a lot of the, all the Southern senators get drunk and go, blacks can't vote, and they're playing quarters. And they're going, if I win, blacks can't vote. Bink! And oh, I just remember, yeah. and now I look at it and go, that's basically what they're trying to do now. And I go, yeah, and I always think you're a joke. I always think you're yeah. a joke. Isn't that crazy? Like, so much of that stuff, and yeah, and back then... It was back then we thought we were amplifying what was going on. You know, we thought that yes. we were like, Beal and I talk about that all, all the time that like, that like back in the, because, you know, I, I had a good, I had a, I had a good base. Um, thanks to Keenan. Thanks to like DL. I had a good base of clubs and places that I could go work that were, you know, that were more African-American clubs and stuff. And, and where, you know, I was kind of welcomed because I was a little bit nuts and because I, I, I don't know why, I, to be honest with you, I don't know why DL wanted me to produce this fucking show. Like, like, I think he just, I think DL just was like, he was so happy to have some guy who he could be like, Hey, here's a rich white guy. To, that, that, like I had, when we did that show, nobody watched it. it was on TV one. And, and now I think more people watch it. DL's doing it uh, um, through Kevin Hart's company uh, um, on Pluto and Peacock. And stuff, and I think it's got a little bit better viewership. But it's DL's radio show, yeah. Um, done to uh, done like Howard Stern style with the uh, with cameras in the in the in the uh, booth, and we had so much fun. But DL would just love to. We'd talk in the morning before we got ready to do the show, and like we'd roll through the issues, and I'd make some joke. Uh, and he'd go, I don't want to do that joke. You need to come on and do that joke. And I'd be like, no, don't make me do that joke. I'm going to look so racist if I do that joke. <laughs> and he would give me no quarter whatsoever. He'd just be like, here's the white guy who owns us, KP. <laughs> if anybody were watching this, I'd be canceled. Do you know that? <laughs> well, how did you write for some, uh, for like, seriously, because you wrote, you've written for African-American, like I said, Wayne Brady, whatever. How do you, how did you get into that? And how did you know, like, find that you know the vein of an african-american voice how did you write that to make it not sound you know like okay this is probably too white so i'm writing for a black guy and i'm i'm from hell, white minnesota so how did you do that how did you navigate through in those waters you know i think that i think that what worked for me in that space was i didn't i never tried to inhabit the voice at all you know like you look at the you look at the african-american comics who i've worked with um wayne you know, Wayne, especially that's so that's a daytime TV show. And especially if you give it the era and everything else, it really is just calling it what it was, is it really is just like a was was Disney working extra hard to make a, you know, to make a talk show for white people with a black host, I think is, <laughs> is how I put it best. And I don't think Wayne would really argue that point. Yeah. Um, Wayne gets an incredibly unfair rap in that space. Sometimes I love that he did that after we worked together, he did that Chappelle piece and I was oh, so happy for yes. him and happy with him that he did it because it's just like, don't like, don't put that on him. Don't make him be the grout between, you know, between uh, uh, cultures in this country. That's not fair. Yeah. He's just a funny fucking guy. Yeah. And, and he's a very talented guy. And Wayne's strength also wasn't, you know, Wayne's strength was all improvisational. So how we learned to write for him and how we learned to build a monologue for him and do stuff sort of stayed away from having to, and because it was daytime, stayed away from having to make big points about anything. It was really more about kind of like where I went for, if, if he was just telling a story, it was more about where he and his wife went to dinner the night before and who they bumped into. We were kind of trying to model Regis Philbin at that point in time and just try to put it more inside of, inside of Wayne's voice and Wayne's voice, you know, just honestly wasn't particularly urban. Um, so, so there's that. But then when you look at like the stuff I've done with, with uh, DL or Kevin or Keenan was, Keenan was a learning curve in how to write for, for TV and Keenan kind of basically traded me for a player to be named later to Bill um, um, after he hired me it was literally like, Bill was like, I was going to hire him. And Keenan goes, well, he's not getting any jokes on my show. You want him? And Bill's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, but Keenan stayed really, Keenan stayed really, really close and kind to me when we bump into each other. He's still just, he's still an incredible guy. And, you know, I think that Keenan, you know, so to, the, the way that I would put that, I, the way that I would answer the question mm -hmm. is that I think, you know, when you look at a Keenan, 
now here's a guy who's very different than Wayne. Wayne, you know, Wayne was still coming up and was still learning who he was and as an entertainer and was getting a lot really early. Yeah. Whereas Keenan was, you know, Keenan had done in Living Color and Keenan had done all those movies and he was really, you know, not just the head of a, a the head of an empire, he was also the head of an entire family of funny people. Yes. And so Keenan really understood how to put people around him that could fortify the pieces that he needed them to fortify. So Keenan never looked at me and went, Hey, can you, you know, can you do the, the, you know, whatever X, Y, Z story about this, he would go, what can you pull out of the news or what can you pull out of here or there? And, and what I, what I did learn from that moving forward through Wayne into Kevin Hart and to DL um, into any other place where I've worked with, you know, where I've worked with uh, um, uh, African-American comics is I write, I try to write the joke a way that they can pick it up and craft it because a lot of it's vernacular right a lot of it is yeah. just like figuring out like how do I put these in my words so like with Kevin um, as we were developing the Donald Mack character for this Lyft legend the uh, uh, hidden camera thing that we did for Lyft that we did a couple seasons of um, as Kevin and I were developing the character like I would get I would touch on more of the I would touch on more of the like the sort of the cranky old man from all walks of life mm -hmm. type of uh, type of things. And we talk about what his background was and what his history was. And then I'd leave it to Kevin to apply the parts that he was gonna be able to make it sound more like him. Like to take to take a race thing out of it, just just to own it into his voice. And Kevin's, you know, Kevin's another guy. He doesn't want a lot of jokes written for him. Kevin yeah. wants the Kevin wants the idea floating in his head and then he wants to craft it the way that he can. Yeah. yeah. I, he's another one I don't think people give enough credit because I think when they find out he has writers. For some reason, I think people, but, oh, well, he's not. And I'm like, you don't understand, man. I mean, everybody gets together and get an idea, but they're going to put it in their voice, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's the things like DL, again, is another perfect example of like, DL is not a big, you know, like make me read it off a teleprompter type of guy. DL is more, DL's, DL's just a cranky fucker. DL is just, you know, I don't need you to write a fucking joke for me. I need you to tell me what the fuck you read in the news and what's so funny about it. Oh, okay, goddamn. <laughs> hey, but, it, but correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody said this and, and I go, yes. And when it comes to like comedians telling, the, the ability to tell a joke joke, like a joke joke joke. DL might be in the top five all time of just being able to fat off the joke. I mean, get that bam, bam, get to the point. Bam, bam, jab, bam, bam. He might be in the top five of all time as far as uh, telling the joke with no fat on it. Yeah, no, he is. He is like you go and you go to watch him do stand up. And I and while I was doing the show with him, I'd go out to I went up to San Francisco once and hung out. And then I did. And then I did a couple of shows in Irvine with him. And um and you're absolutely right. He's just, you know, he's a killer and he, man, he can go forever. He's like for a man who drinks as much as he does to be able to remember <laughs> that much material at the drop of a hat is unreal. Like he is so goddamn good at it. Yeah. And, and what's funny is like DL is also, you know, DL is also a, a bona fide genius when it comes to, you know, when it comes to delivering a, a, a like a sadly not unique point of view but one that is so not brought into mainstream media through anything other than hip-hop you know DL you know raised in South Central was very you know uh had you know his his stepfather raised him uh um his father was in jail all of those all of the tropes that you hear about that stuff that you know that that are that are out of that are you know common to one part of society you know, he's got all of that. And very few people are listened to for what they think about what's going on in the world who come from that point of view. Yes. And Deal, you know, hasn't lost, Deal hasn't lost the, the sort of commonality with everybody who's from that place, but he's a genius. And so he really resonates. Like he really, really resonates when he wants to talk about something and not necessarily be funny about it or make funny be a part of a larger point. Um, um, and I think that that's something that, you know, sometimes it's hard, even for me, who's such a good friend of his and has worked with him for so long, sometimes it's hard for me to like even equate the person that I see on stage doing stand up because he's such a crisp, clean, like hammer it out. You know, you you bought tickets for the laugh. So I'm not going to I'm not going to lay my social views on you right now yes. um, unless they're hysterical and then bring him bring him over to the radio show where he combines that with this like this fucking worldview that is you know, sorely needed. Yes. It's incredible. And, and he's also, you know, like he's not woke. 
He's not, you know, he's not particularly, he's not particularly, um, he's, he's neither, nor is he sexist nor racist nor anything else. He's just like got like common sense oozing out of him. He's just and he's DL. a cranky old guy. Yeah, and I mean, so, he's just DL. I mean, like he doesn't, he says what's going on in the world and, and it doesn't, it never gets preachy. It stays funny. Right when you think it's going to go, here we go. He'll bam, 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 bam. He'll still like, okay, here we go. Here's the preachy part. He never yeah. gets preachy, but he still keeps it funny and keeps yeah. it going. And you laugh. I don't think people have enough time to process being offended because they're laughing at what he said. And which, yeah. is, which is, to me, the best trademark of any great comic. You can bring mm -hmm. up the most controversial subject, but if you make people laugh who don't agree with it, yeah. that's when you know it's fun. Yeah. I, I don't agree with half the things Bill Burr says, but they're funny. Yeah. And well, and I mean, and that's the thing is like DL would, you know, DL would, uh, would I think, and I could be wrong. It could be provably wrong. Maybe he made some comment on this, but I think no. And, and I'm assuming, but I think knowing him, I think that that he would um, defend Joe Rogan's right to show everybody exactly who Joe Rogan is. Like that's how he would put it. I think is kind of like uh, is kind of like you know. And and again, I don't really know the context of. I, I keep hearing comics talk about the context of whatever that montage of Joe yeah. doing that stuff was. And, and I just go, and I just go, well, Jesus, though, there had to be like all of those opportunities, there had to be something else you could have been talking about at that moment. But you chose to do it. And I and I guess yes, freedom, free speech is, you know, sort of central to my values. So I go, I, I wouldn't ever want to do that myself. But I guess you have a right to do that. But boy, I, I think you have to accept that, you know, if you don't want people to think one way about you, you're not giving them any other options, are you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear you exactly. But I, you know, I, I'm i the same way. It's like, okay, if you're to me, my thing is, if you're going to dig on somebody and keep digging and digging, and digging you're going to find something. You're yeah. going to find with everybody. I mean, you no one yeah. no, no one walks with this motherfucker unscathed or without saying yeah. something that people go, hey, man, that guy or that girl is, you know, this and that. Or that. Hey, man, that, you know, that was five, ten years ago. Maybe I've mm -hmm. changed, you know, and yeah. they're always. How do you how do you personally navigate through this, uh, this, you know, your culture, especially you're in Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood instead of yeah. out here. To me, I always say, you know, that Me Too and, and, and Black Lives Matter, all that stuff, all the movements. I think it's more New York, L.A. entertainment where I'm in the Midwest. And it's like, eh. I mean, I don't think you're yeah. going to get too many people getting Me Too at a Jiffy Lube. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. I do, yeah. I do think and I do think that so much of it is kind of a young man's game, you know, or a young person's game. I young say. person. Got to get their pronoun yeah. game right, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I think that like I think, that you know, I, I, I actually deal with it two different ways, because when I go on stage as a stand up, I'm back doing a lot of stand up right now. Good. And when Good. I go on stage, I leave I leave everything at the door. I leave all the you know i i'm not i i don't have i don't i besides like jokes that are you know about the age difference between my daughter and i and the you know and the values difference between she and i on stuff i don't tend to dive too directly into um uh into like i don't i don't really care to address me too or or cancel culture or what i care to do the jokes that i wrote and so, and some of them are, and some of them are offensive for reasons people haven't figured out yet. And there's a lot of shit that I used to do that I would never bring back because I know that like in this day and age, it would be the end of, you know, and, and also there are places where I've changed. Like I used to do a joke way back when I, and I, and I heard it, like I was actually pretty fucking mortified. My daughter uh, um, found some old thing, old recording of me online and she listened to it and she was like, dad, this joke like she goes a lot of it's still funny but she goes this one and it was like around the nancy kerrigan tanya harding thing and like i don't know what i thought was funny about it but i was brutal to nancy kerrigan and really like that's the one where i'm just like holy shit did i actually say that more than once enough times that somebody got it you know recorded yeah back in 1990 whatever like holy yeah. shit and yeah and it's there and it's just like it's just like, I can't, you know, you can't take it back, but all you can do is just go, well, fuck, I, you know, like, good Lord, I think I've, I think I've learned from them. But I do think that like, when you look at a lot of like this incel culture and the, you know, and the angry young man and the, the fucking dudes with the torches and uh, uh, from Ikea and all that shit, like, uh, or, or cross plus, you go, God, I, I don't think I was that, but I do absolutely understand like the, the young man who could not handle the rejections he had faced 
after growing up with a lot handed to him yeah. and decided that everybody else was at fault. Like, I can't honestly look anybody in the eye and say I didn't live that experience, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I just, it, to me personally, I just remember, I just remember being at Lake Okoboji and like, who you working with, KP Anson? Okay. And I just remember going, this guy's kind of cocky, but but you like him. I know, I remember just going, this guy's cocky, but I said, I like him. And I just remember like, you know, I think we stayed at a condo at the, it, I don't know where it was, like a house or whatever. And, and we yeah. always got along. I was like, this guy's good. I go, this guy's a good writer. He's good. He's a cocky, but he's good. And I think we, you know, like, it was like, we always gotten along. We've always gotten along. But yeah. to me personally, and that was when, like, if anybody was, was, uh, what do we call it back in those days? Edgy. Everybody there, edgy. Yeah. I, think, I mean, yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill Burr said yeah. it best. He goes, they're going to get a leather jacket on and go on stage. And look, I'm edgy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, I just, and I just remember being at the Jacksonville Comedy uh, Festival. And we were doing, like, a, I just remember, like, a, it was in a little semicircle you know, next to the river. And it was a Hooters uh -huh. there. And I remember you got into it with this. You got into it like, oh, some high school girl or something. You go, yeah, you just wait till you just wait till you're wiping something off your back after some guy just did whatever. And I was like, holy shit, KP. And it was something like a fact. It was in a, you know, it's a man of leather jacket. Yeah. He's edgy. <laughs> I just remember going, holy shit, KP. I was like, no, no. I just ran in the back going, no. And it was. Yeah, and by the way, I just can't like. I still to this day. Like it took a, took a while sort of off, but I was on stage and then, and then came back and I was on stage at this new club, Comedy Chateau on, on Riverside, uh, around Lancashire, rather out in North Hollywood. That's kind of an unhinged feels a little bit like back in the day sort of club where yeah. like they just, they just, they're, they're new to club ownership yeah. and they haven't figured out how to keep any of the animals at bay <laughs> just yet. So like there was a guy That's on good, before me, yeah, Saturday night, there's a guy on before me. And he's new to comedy and he's like 55 years old. And he's also, it turns out, new to being gay. Like he, <laughs> like he found out mid-marriage. And so his whole act is about that. And he's doing a whole bunch of like, first time I sucked a dick kind of stuff. And like all of this stuff. And um, some of it's funny, but he's also green. And so some of it's like, just, it, it's not like it's not funny points, but it's sort of long written. Right. And then you add on top of that, that he's talking about some stuff that, you know, a chunk of the audience is probably going to like be a little uncomfortable with. Right. And so of course there's one guy in the audience who just starts booing him, just boo, boo, boo. And he just keeps, and that's all he's saying is boo. And so like, <laughs> finally the guy gets off stage and I'm up next. Yeah. And I just lit into the heckler and I was just like, and I just, I kind of went to sort of like a whiteout space of like, I'm, I'm going to beat the shit out of this person with my words. And that's all that. I, and I literally was just like, and my wife was there and she's like, wow, you're kind of a, like, she goes, I remember that guy. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, I don't know. I was like, you and I have nothing in common. Like I go, he goes, he said something like, you know, come on, you're straight. And I was like, you want, let's be perfectly clear. You and I have nothing in common. I was like, I would never put on that fucking shirt. And by the way, I think only one of us has swallowed trucker semen for lunch money and it wasn't me, you motherfucker. And I was just, and I was just like pounding away on this fuckery guy. <laughs> this, is it. this is the old KP I remember. Yeah. So that guy, that guy still shows up and plays. But then, but then, and and like back to that DL point of like putting your life in two worlds kind yeah. of and, and being something else very sincerely and very much meaning it when I start a show as a showrunner the you know the very first day that that we get together and you know because like the DL show is a perfect example where I've got a cat I've got a staff that is you know um, um, very very majority African-American and then a few white people and then a few you know um, an Indian guy we had all kinds of people mm -hmm. and um, and um, you know everybody's hyper aware and, and nobody's nobody working for me is anywhere near as old as me it feels like these days and so you're dealing with people who are coming in with, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, opinion and a lot of expectation and not a lot of real world experience. And you've got to try to figure out how to help them understand. Um, well, first of all, you got to create an environment where everybody can do the best job yes, that, that they need to do. And that is really now, nowadays, it really is combining a sensitivity um, and an understanding of what these expectations are of who we're supposed to be in the workplace. And there's a lot of it that I find actually really good. I find it like sort of sterilizing. Yeah. It's like, we don't like, like we, we have a job to do collectively here. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. when we're doing that job collectively, 
we need to figure out how to be, you know, we need to figure out how to be good collaborators on it. And maybe if that leads to friendships, then fantastic. But also, you know, people, people much more so than when I was starting out, don't view their jobs in Hollywood as the only thing they're here for. You know, like I, I, I come from an era of culture where you really like when you start working in that system, you are just it, it is your it is your life and it's yes. all you care about. You don't your family doesn't understand you when you go home because you talk only talk about the shit that's going on in these shows that they don't care at all what the backstage you know, stuff is and, and everything else. And, and everybody's there for long hours. And, you know, of course, people hook up. And of course, people go out and get drunk together. And of course, someone says the wrong thing. And it's all settled in house. And and that that's how it used to be. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it wasn't necessarily healthy. It wasn't necessarily a good way to live. It wasn't necessarily a good way to be a, you know, to raise a family, to yeah. like come home from that. And, and, and so it wasn't, it wasn't good for anybody. And now it's a much more because of these things that are, that are getting talked about finally, you know, it's, it's crucible enough to be young and broke in a really expensive city and trying to live a dream and being taught and being, you know, taught daily that you're insignificant in a thing that you worked your ass off to get an ability to get a, a right to do. And so I started, I kind of thought about it a lot over the last few years. And, and so when I started like the last few shows, when I get the crew together for the first day to kind of talk down what we're going to do, here's how the project's going to work and everything. I always cap it off with like, you know, the word respect, a lot of, in a lot of these situations, everybody talks about respect. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't get respect and people, but, but respect is such a loaded word. It's such a, you know, and it's, and, you know, a, a lot of people, especially younger people tend to tend to use it as a reason to, to get their gander up and to fight. You're not respecting me or I don't respect you or, you know, right. that kind of stuff. And I said, so let's put respect to the side for a second, like respect. Everybody's got a different version of what respect means and how do you earn it? And where do you get there? I, I want to put a word that's a lot simpler in front of everybody. Regard. Regard is super easy. If you have regard for everybody else, if you all you care about as it applies to everybody else is I don't want to be the reason someone else has a shitty day, then you can probably navigate all of this like uh, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have sexual harassment training, it doesn't mean that we're not going to get a code of conduct book that we all have to read and sign. But if you want one simple rule that I think actually works for everybody, it's that is show people the regard the right to not have a fucked up life because of you. Is the, is a really simple, it's a really simple thing. And it's kind of caught on a little bit. I've got a couple other friends who are showrunners now who sort of give their version of the same speech. And I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of feedback from younger people that is like that they actually really like it too, because it sort of cuts through. They're also, you know, not everybody is the same, is the same level of woke or whatever you want to call it. My daughter and her friends at college at Northeastern, she's got an incredibly diverse group of friends and they, you know, would tell you, that they would rather be watching Chappelle and John Mulaney and, you know, and, and, you know, old great comics um, with their free time. And they, and, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the shows and the comedies that they like, they're not, they're not seeking in their comedy sterilization. Right. They don't, they're, they're comfortable with the idea that there's, that there can be friction between classes and races and, and lifestyles and everything else. And they also are comfortable with the idea that sometimes that leads to a laugh on the way to an understanding. Yes. My yeah. God, that's beautiful, man. No, I love that because when you say regard, it takes away, and you know, like you said, respect in a way, man, it's not like, you know, if they're younger and somebody like us says it, like, oh, that's old people talk. You know, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, what the fuck? Ever. I hate when people say that. that's old people talking. Like, man, fuck off. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really don't want to say, man, fuck off. But old people talk. I, I can take you in anything, anything in life. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, exactly. but like, but you have you to know, listen like, to them. You know why old guys like us never use the word respect? Is because we fucking know no one has it for us. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that is so true. Like, that I think is... I walk in the house and my wife and daughter go, well, here comes daytime Emmy Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you talking about? You well, I got to listen to my, my producer's 20. So I, I listen to him on a lot of stuff. And the funny thing about it is, and I give this to him all the time, I go, he doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. He's never heard of Pearl Jam. Fuck him, man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He doesn't know who Pearl Jam I'm like, are you sure? I mean, the first time he told me that, I go, no. And he said, no. And I was, just, I mean, I was like five minutes. I was like, are you, are you fucking serious? So I screenshot it. Pearl Jam came on my serious radio. I screenshot it and sent it to him. And he's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. no clue, man. So that's beautiful, bro. I think the meshing, I, it's like, 
I like to think I like to think I'm open minded this and that, but I love it when you meet people who are like on the up, you know, have that progressive thought. But you meet your and you think you're progressive. You meet somebody really, really, and you go okay, and it kind of meshes into a beautiful yeah. sense of just like okay, you know that if I said something that's fucked up, I don't mean it, and it's coming from a bad place. It's just that yeah. you know, growing up and and then trying to get away from that kind of thing. But it's hey, it's gonna happen. It's yeah. gonna happen. I'm gonna say some. If I say a wrong pronoun, I'm not doing it to be a dick. It's just say, hey, I grew yeah. up, and you say him, her, him, or whatever. And I'm not saying to be a dick, but I don't think if I say the wrong pronoun, you should go into a fucking tizzy. Yeah. No. And I, and and you know, and I think that you know, the, here's the other side is like someone else say, I think it was Alonzo Bowden or Chris Hardwick, one of the two. I don't know why those two are the two because <laughs> they're so alike. Um, <laughs> uh, but but. Uh, yeah in one of these conversations about stuff and we we're talking about Twitter and I don't, I don't get on Twitter very often. I, I, you know, tend to like, if I have a, a really big compliment to pay someone that I just feel like I want to know that they know, I think that I'll throw it out there, but I try to stay, I try to stay off of there for a billion different reasons. But, um, but the, there's like, the, it's such a narrow hallway that gets amplified so loudly yeah. That like, and it's kind of like what you said about Indianapolis is most of the people out there are not getting thrown into a tizzy because you said the wrong pronoun. It's just that the people who are have such a megaphone right now because of social media and because of their willingness to like dive in and be in insanely offended and all the other stuff. And it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm always torn because I genuinely don't want to discount their opinion. I don't want to, because I don't like, let's take the LGBTQ and the trans stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Is I don't know, I know one person in my life who's trans and uh, a friend who, you know, who uh, came out in the middle of a marriage and then, you know, and then realized it went further than that. And then, and then, um, um, and then went through the, you know, the stuff and is trans. And I'm so bad at talking, like, I don't even know how the right way to, to, to say how that all went. But, but, you know, she's an insanely nice person, really talented voiceover artist, um, and, you know, super open about the experience, but also is not, you know, is not a trans person who would, you know, who is, who is walking angrily through the world about mystery and maybe that's because it happened so much later in life mm -hmm. and because it didn't have you know didn't have the you know the, the the struggle of the young person in that position where people are much more cruel and people are much more willing to or likely to engage i mean as you get older you keep to yourself more and so whether you whatever you fucking think about it you just kind of go i don't know the world's fucking that way i'm just gonna i'm getting <laughs> out like and, and so and so i don't have enough exposure experience and i don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and not feel like exactly who i am you know yes. And yes. so, and so I have sympathy at, at, and for it. I don't know that I have a lot of empathy for it just because I haven't lived it. And so, and so, but that doesn't mean I've got, that doesn't mean that I've got ill will towards anybody in that capacity. And so like, I go, look, if, if it's, if it's how you deal with Dave Chappelle saying something that you infer as an attack on you as a person, um, or as, as a community that is your central community, mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to say they don't have a right to be offended by Dave. I'm not going to say that Dave doesn't have a right to say it. I'm going to say, this probably isn't my fight. Like this probably isn't for me to regulate that, you know, that, okay. For me personally, I think that's punching down because you can say what you want about Dave. He's a comedian. I mean, you know, the one you should be worried about is Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody in Congress who's saying some shit because they're the ones yeah. who can really, really, really affect your life. They're yeah. the ones that can pass a law. Yeah, they can actually change something that, yeah, that can, they can all, all, you know, I, I kind of like with that particular material of Dave's, I, I do kind of go back to like, he's got, He's got a whole bunch of other stuff I like a lot better than that material. Not because I'm offended by the material, but I just go, I just go, wow, you're spending a lot of time hanging out here. And now knowing the full story and knowing about Dave's friend who was trans. And I do think that Dave's got kind of a kind of uh, there's 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 a lot of truth to his larger point about a community that, you know, that comes angry and eats their own when they don't agree with them. Um, um, and he has a you know, he has a right to he has a right to point that out, too. I just, there's a part of me that goes, but can the fifth special be about something else? Exactly. <laughs> no, I, the perp, yeah, you nailed it there. I feel the same way. If you're such a brilliant comic, you can, okay, that was, I mean, how much more can you, you know, spend on that topic? I, I understand kind of now why you had to go back to it on this last one because of yeah. what happened to his friend. But now if, if you come up with another one, yeah, you, you're going to have to go to a whole different place, I think. I mean, yeah. me personally, I feel, I feel that way. But yeah. I get it, but you don't have to be born that way. And it's like you said, you know, 
I have the, we have the luxury of, hey, I know I've always liked women, and that was my downfall in L.A. I was should have been, you know, I, instead of chasing, <laughs> I should have been writing jokes at it. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. I knew my downfall. So oh, I knew what I'm always... You were able to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> Where's BT go? Oh, God damn it, I was looking at her. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, look at us now. Look at us now. You have a house, and I have a roommate. So who... Yeah. <laughs> who who came out on top on that one? You know what I mean? I'm a grown-ass man with a roommate. I got a room. And there are some rooms yeah. I can't go into because yeah. I'm too messy. You know? I would just masturbate then focus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, after I do that, there's no more focus. It's more like, I'm tired now. <laughs> I'm getting to that point where it's, if it's the last thing of the day, perfect, I can go to sleep. But if, if I do that early afternoon, it's like, ah, oh, there's going to be no right now. You know what I mean? So I got to focus, you know? But yeah, if you, but at the same time, I'm no born into what I like, whatever. But I can mm -hmm. still look out, and it took some people to get me to see this way, though. I never understood why women have to park underneath a light uh, in a parking lot, you know, or, or they want to try to park up front because there's crazies out there who, you know, who attack them. I didn't realize that. Somebody brought that to my forefront. I go, oh, shit, I didn't realize that. Or, you know, somebody like who's trans, like they were born and they always felt they were something else. I don't know if that loves you, but I'm going to have empathy because I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's like. It's like somebody yeah. white going, I don't know what it's like to be black, but I do know that seeing all these people being shot, unarmed people getting, getting shot, there has mm -hmm. to be a problem. I mean, if, all yeah. the, if other countries point that out to the United mm -hmm. States, you know, it, there's a goddamn problem. When, when, when Germany goes, hey, it's wrong to target a specific race of people, <laughs> something's wrong. You know what yeah. I mean? So you don't have to yeah. be born like that to understand it's a problem. Yeah, and, and I think, no, that, no, you're very right about that. You're very, actually, you're right. And that, and that um, can I take back what I said at the, at the top of this about the, it's not my fight. Cause you're right. Because, and that's not, and I, I, I phrased it poorly because there is, there is, if you've got a moral center, you've yeah. got an obligation to, you know, you've got an obligation to, you know, acknowledge, defend the point to, to, to do what, you know, to do what you can. And you've got the right to free speech. You should, you know, you should stand up and, and, and speak your mind on stuff. And I think that it's, you know, and I think that that's another, by the way, that's another thing about um, the, our, my current industry that has gotten really hard is that, you know, it, it really is, these are big corporations that run these productions. And you see, like, the reason that I think you're seeing so much revenue getting into, like, in, in the podcast lane where there's really popular people, it's not, it's not because we're dividing intellectually down, like, one road or the other. I think that it's a very diverse, like, we got some seriously stupid motherfuckers in this country. We got some seriously smart motherfuckers in this country, and we got all of the rest of us. And and I think all of the rest of us cut along so many different lines with so many different thoughts and opinions about everything, and it's all based on, you know, the context of 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 what our lives have been. And so, like like I feel like a, a good example that I that I feel like I've talked about some is that when when you talk about white privilege like does white privilege exist yeah yes it's <laughs> yeah. an easy answer it's a very easy you know how i know i can say that i know that exists because if i say it someone will go oh that was courageous <laughs> then someone won't go no now you're just complaining like they'll go oh you like you're brave, like, what, you're brave. what you did yeah. you know and <laughs> and I just, but I think that what's interesting to me is I think that I think that the message of the existence of white privilege is something that's spoken globally, but always heard locally or almost always heard locally. So, like by way of example, and if you say to me, you know, KP, you're doing well in your career because of white privilege, um, or you have white privilege, and you know, it's you've had an easier run at this career than me. Um, um, internally, what I'm going to think about is the work that I've done to be where I'm at and what my particular path was. And, and, and all of a sudden, by the way, you didn't say that to me. Um, I'm just using, you know, it, it, it seems like we're good for an example here. Um, um, but, but like, there's, there's a good, a likelihood that I'm going to hear it as you just saying that I've had it easy, uh, as opposed to me looking at you know at, at the layout of a life lived with certain like when we when you and I are driving out of Okaboji if we both get pulled over who's getting home faster you know? <laughs> yeah. as, as opposed to thinking about that I'm just gonna go you know fuck you BT you were out there I fucking grounded out I and I did but 
it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's not true that this that this set of circumstances also exists out in the world yeah. and that it has existed for a long time and that we haven't gotten you know regardless of improvements that have been made we haven't really figured that out and so, but, but I think that like that discussion, because people get so hung up on semantics all the time, that discussion gets harder and harder to have because, and, and again, you talk about like the Marjorie Taylor Greens and you talk about politicians, I think on both sides, politicians really want to lean into whether it's defund the police, which is the stupidest fucking set of words anybody has ever come up with yeah. to get to a reasonable solution to a problem we all deal with. Yeah. You know, because yeah. like, what did you think everybody was going to say when you <laughs> coined that phrase? Like, what did you think that everybody like reorganize the police? Well, there's the, you're, you're literally like one word away from getting it fucking right. And instead you come up with the dumbest fucking word that you could land in, in the conservative talking points for the next 20 fucking years. <laughs> you were one word away and you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so it's like, but it's because people love to do that. They love to sit and wait for someone to use the wrong pronoun. They love to sit and wait yes. to use the, you know, like to, to, to do that, you know, it's like, it, it is, you know, for lack of a better term, it is gotcha shit. And it's like, and it's like, I woke up today and I'm going to fucking find somebody who disagrees with me and I'm going to put them under. And I, feel like I feel like they're waiting like this. And they, okay, I'm offended. Uh, like they're looking yeah. like this and they, oh, he said the wrong pronoun. Or whatever. I mean, I, I feel that sometimes people come to comedy clubs like that. Like mm -hmm. they might be either gay or trans or whatever and they're just waiting like this. And yeah. they're just waiting for you to have that little slip up so they can attack you. And instead of going, okay, again, find intent. If the intent looks like if this person, I mean, there's people who talk this and, you know, and you know, good and goddamn well that they mean the, the, the exact opposite. You can read between yeah. the lines of some people, but it's the intent. I mean, I, I mean, that's I think that's being lost and you're so right. I think people are just waiting to just chomp on people. Yeah. I mean, this morning, so like I, so like I put on order the uh, Ford Mustang Mach-E, the electric car, uh -huh. and and eventually I'll get it. I don't know. Like it, it was like last October, and I keep getting emails from Ford that are like, we're going to start building it any day now. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I'm in all these Facebook Mach-E forums because I'm now fascinated with it. And, and there was an article that someone that like Consumer Reports or CNET or someone put out that was about, should you get a long range, uh, um, should you get a long range electric? vehicle or should you get uh so like what's the right one for you and uh, standard range and i got the standard range because i live in la and we're still you know in the middle of a pandemic but also most often i don't go any further than like 11 miles every day standard range is the right thing for me i don't need to spend as much on the long range because i'm not in indianapolis and i'm not going to do a road gig that's 300 miles away you know like yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's that's just the that's just the facts of the case I don't think that that's a thing that people could possibly find a reason to fight about. I could read to you this thread that where there's two people, one of whom lives somewhere on the East Coast and another one lives in L.A. And thank God it's 3000 miles and neither of their cars can get to the Mississippi. <laughs> these motherfuckers would kill each other right now over this, like, over this like, well, your car's going to devalue more if you have standard range. And they're just screaming at each other and like, fuck you. It will not. And, and I, <laughs> just like all cars devalue. What, what are you talking about? Like, what, <laughs> like you don't have an investment. You have you have something that was worth half as much the day you got it, yes. except for in this weird ass time, which is going to change eventually. But yes. but like but like if there's an opinion, then there's someone out there who's crazy enough to take it too far. Yeah, that's so true, yeah. man. God damn it, yeah. listen. We almost got to go, but before I get out of here, before we get out of here, I'm gonna ask you one question. But sure. I want people to know uh, the name of the production company is Pygmy Wolf Productions. Is this still in? This Yes, yeah, sort of. It, it's Pygmy Wolf is is was sort of born out of the soup when I when I started doing a um, when, I, when I got my first deal to produce other shows besides the one I was producing. Mm -hmm. um, Pygmy Wolf was born, and I wrote it through my time with Lionsgate and through my time with DL. And then I and then when I went to do Blind Date for Bravo is when I sort of like handed off DL to uh, Kevin and his partner Jeff Clanagan and went to New York. That's a way big uh, oversimplification of a very long story, but. Um, but I went to New York and went back to just being a showrunner for, for Blind Date. And I sort of assumed I would get back and eventually get it up and running again. But the pandemic has changed a lot. Like the Pygmy Wolf was never like a really big, you know, like super funded company. And the way that production has to be indemnified these days 
makes it really hard to have shallow pockets and not be able to. So I'm more, I'm more in the lake. Also when I'm show running, I get paid a lot and, and I have a lot of headaches, but nowhere near as much as when I own the production company that makes the show. Yeah. So I'm kind of loving the, uh, I'm kind of loving the, like, the, like, Oh man, I'm only worrying about 185 things today. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, I did that bro. kind of head Bergian, didn't I? <laughs> oh man, I'm loving only 185 things today. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so someday it may have with the right production, with the right idea, with the right thing, it may it may find its way back. But for right now, it's kind of a it's kind of a a, a thing that I didn't close. But you know, Blind Date, we were supposed to shoot season two. We did sixty five episodes for season one, and we were supposed to start shooting season two in April of uh, 2020, but it became a really bad idea to have strangers dry hump in hot tubs in Atlanta in April of 2020. Like it was a really fucking bad idea. So. <laughs> yeah. It was. yeah so, then I, so then I spent nine months sitting on my front step drinking bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do what you yeah. gotta do, brother. You said yeah. something I think that just resonated with me. And I don't know if it was your the model for your production company, but you said, if standing up will tell you a joke, if sitting down will write you one, if in a network office will sell you a show. God damn, I love that. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. No, I mean Thank that. That Man, I read it, and that shit resonated with me harder than I thought it would, but that was like, that was beautiful, man. That was, it, it, it's prophetic in a way, but that's beautiful. Of all Dude, your accolades, of all your accolades... And we gotta get out. Gotta get out. So, so it's gotta be quick. Of all your accolades that you've done, and it had to be the big ones. Maybe maybe it was a shit. Your first time on stage, whatever. What's the one that sticks out to you? That's gonna be like, man, like you won't forget that one. Like that it, for whatever reason. I'm listening to you. I'm running right back. Um, it's this one. Ah, oh, you. Oh, what is? Oh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Yep. 2014 White House Correspondence Dinner. Oh my God, Joel, dude! Yeah, Joel McHale. Joel McHale was the comic. Uh, myself and uh, Brad Stevens and Boyd Vico, who were in there, were the primary writers on it. And going there, that was actually, if you want to know, like the last evolution of me in, in getting the confidence to do the stuff that I do, yeah. was was meeting Barack Obama and not freaking out. Was literally like we walked up and Joel had pointed us out to him in this long line. The story is way longer than this, but um, <clears throat> he did much the same thing to Neil Brennan. Like this is how cool Obama is. Um, Joel had pointed us out uh, as we were waiting in line and as he was taking a picture with him before the before the uh, the actual event. And Brad and Boyd and I walk up. <coughs> excuse me. And uh, and uh, he goes, uh, which one of you guys is KP? And I was like, oh, uh, that'd be me, Mr. President. And he says, uh, ah, KP, uh, Michelle, this is KP. He's the guy who runs the soup. Um, uh, he's Joel's guy who runs the soup. And he goes, Michelle and the girls love the soup. They've been watching it for years. And it's kind of the reason why you guys are here tonight. And, and I was like, oh, cool. Um, and, you know, she, like, he goes, go talk to her. And he slides her down. And he starts talking to Brad and Boyd. And she goes, we really do. We love the show so much. We, we like the girls and I every Friday night. We'd sit down and watch and we just so many silly spaghetti cat like referencing little things that we did on the show. And I said, that's incredibly uh, uh, nice of you to tell me, Mrs. Obama. And I said, do you, I go, do you remember a couple months ago you came to the E building to uh, be interviewed by Ryan Seacrest about your health food initiative for kids? And she goes, yeah, I remember that. And I go, yeah, I had to park somewhere else that day. And, <laughs> and she starts laughing. And he overhears it and he turns and he goes, yeah, it's kind of the pain in the ass of us as we, we kind of move in wherever we go. And I turned to him and I go, it's second term arrogance, Mr. President, and I'm not fond. And he literally like right before the picture, he shoves me back over towards Michelle and he goes, all right, you told the joke you thought of in the shower. Let's take the picture. And we take the picture, we laugh and he goes, get out of here. Don't let me see you around here again. And we go walking off. And it was such a like, it was such a just, first of all, it tells you everything tells me everything about how great he is like how fast he diffused all the nerves of meeting the president right yeah. like just like all of a sudden you're just talking to this guy and you're moving on but I was kind of like after that moment and that night we were at you know this this after party and 
I had written this big run of jokes about Chris Christie that um, Jeff Zucker uh, um, uh, was was at the table next to me and I'd just done a pilot or just sold a pilot to CNN. So Jeff and I were talking and then he introduces me to Chris and I go, I wrote most of the jokes about him. And he goes, Chris, this is KP. He's the guy who wrote most of the jokes. I'm like, shut up, dude. <laughs> and, so, and so we're at this party and Christie's like bear hugging me and all this stuff. And Joel had told a joke about Robert De Niro that Brad wrote, which was great, which was like, uh, Robert De Niro is here. Let me do my impression of Robert De Niro's agent ring ring he'll take it <laughs> and, and De Niro's up like pushing Joel going you're right I'm on a money run it's insane it's just all this like it was just such a like moment of like not like I've arrived but this moment of like I'm no longer intimidated by people just because they're more famous than me or just because they're you know here or there I feel like I can hang in a room all of a sudden you know and after that it was just like well I had a, I, I guess I had a moment um, with the president of the United States where I only sort of made an ass out of myself. And it made me feel like every pitch that I go into, everything, everything else that I do, every meeting that I take, I should be able to handle that moment. God damn, that's beautiful, man. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, dude. It just makes me go, hey, that is a wow moment. Because like I said, man, I just, whenever I think of you, I think of Lake Okoboji. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like, you've done well, my friend. I'm so happy Thank for you. you. I mean, from Thank the bottom you. of my heart, I'm happy yeah. for you. I'm happy to reconnect. I'm just so elated for all your success. And, and, and the one thing, and I can't believe I'm saying this, and this maybe just shows our maturity, but the one thing that, that to me, I'm happy about any, more than anything is just, your daughter's well, your kids well. I, you know, yeah, I, honestly, true. that she's you know, and I think in Boston, whatever. Yeah, she's at Northeastern. Yeah, and that applied to me, physics major. She's <laughs> applied. She literally. She go. Can I tell you one more story, real quick? You got time? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah, cool. Over, over the holidays, she switched majors from mechanical engineering to applied physics. So we're we're she's home in L.A. and we go to a friend's house on New Year's Eve, and then we come back home, and I go out back with the dog for a little while, and I come back and I sit down in my chair with my book, and she comes in, and she goes, "Hey, Dad, can I uh, talk to you for a second? I said, "Yeah," and she goes, "I want to tell you why I want to uh, switch majors to applied physics," and then she talks to me for twenty minutes about physics. And she goes, what do you think? And I go, I think it's time I told you that I smoke weed when I go out back with the dog. <laughs> what? What are you fucking? I just, I spent 20 minutes looking at a mole on your ear. What are you saying to me? <laughs> she's just, but she's so great. It's, I'm so, thank you so much, man. No. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to see you and to hear from you and to get caught up, man. I hope our paths can cross again really, really soon. Like, I would love to do anything with you, brother. It is so much fun to hang and talk. No, again. I mean, if in the bottom, I mean, if ever, like, you know, Wayne Brady goes on a five state killing spring and he do his show. No, I'll, yeah. I'll play his part. I'll be, I'll yeah. be the young, young Brady. Let's, let's meet up in Lake Okoboji and go hit baseballs again. Let's go hit. <laughs> I remember that. I remember going to the batting cage with you and going like, I'm good at baseball. I'm going to try to hit the ball farther than this buff black dude like that's what i'm gonna do today is i'm gonna show this motherfucker that i can knock it out of the park here too <laughs> as long as you don't sack me as long as you don't exactly. sack me brother exactly. look i hit hard man i can't I go, like <laughs> <laughs> ladies um, and gentlemen kp anderson great friend great everything and he's killing in hollywood and he's always been my friend thank you guys for watching i appreciate it thank you kp and you know how i say about this time at the end of the show you know the word Pain.